Hello everyone, how are you doing today? My name is Charlie, you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset, and today I wanted to talk about something that I don't hear a lot of people talking about, and it's a rather uncomfortable topic for me for a couple of reasons. One, well, see, I'm a fan of a lot of popular media, and two, I am a content creator. I hate that word. I'm a writer. I write books. I do podcasts. I do all kinds of things. And while I don't have any illusion that what I'm going to be talking about today will actually put a big dent into the insanity that has gripped the heart of various fandoms, I I feel that it's something that doesn't get said often enough. In fact, I haven't really heard too many people talk about it. And that is, you know, with all the complaints and discussions going on about how people like or dislike what's going on in various fandoms, namely, uh, the Star Wars stuff, um, there's an illusion that we have granted ourselves in our modern culture that our opinions matter. And they don't. They really don't. And the reason for that is a magical little thing called intellectual property. See, when someone like me creates content... Oh, I hate that term. Anyway... When someone like me creates content, we are granted a copyright on that. And that content becomes our intellectual property, meaning we can do with it whatever we want. Now, I'm not trying to say you just need to grin and bear it and accept what the large corporations are doing with the various franchises that they control. What I am trying to say is that we need to get over the illusion that we have any real influence over what they do. Yeah, this is kind of a bitter pill to swallow. So I'm going to focus in this episode primarily on Star Wars, because that's where a lot of this uh, toxic discussion has been happening for a very long time. And I do apologize if you can hear any weirdness in my voice. I have a cold and (laughs) working through it. Okay. So what do I mean that the problem is intellectual property? Well, see, in our modern capitalist culture, we have accepted the neoliberal idea that there is a marketplace of ideas strong ideas went out, unpopular ideas die off. And that sounds rational. And while I'm not going to go into horseshoe theory or any of the other things that I could bring up here to show and demonstrate how that's not 
actually the way things are. Um, I feel that it's important for us to have a discussion about, well, the reality of the situation. So for a lot of Star Wars fans, they don't like the prequels. Well, that's nice. You can have those opinions. Those opinions are valid because they're your opinions. You don't like them. The problem is they don't affect Lucasfilm at all. All of the Star Wars films, all of the prequels, made billions of dollars at the box office. For all of the complaints and moaning over this aspect or that aspect not being exactly what the fans wanted to see, people went out and saw them, and saw them in large numbers. Now, I, I don't want to talk about the quality, merits, or problems with the prequels. That's something that's been talked to death. But it must be obvious that the concerns of the fan base had absolutely nothing to do with the success or failure of these movies. Why? Because of the magical marketplace of ideas. See, markets don't care about quality. Markets don't care about what the fans of the particular property actually want. All that a market cares about is that the property brings in money. See, the prequels weren't made for fans of the original trilogy. The fans of the original trilogy, like myself, had bought it and bought it and bought it again and bought it again and bought it again and continued to buy it. <laughs> they locked us in. We were buying toys. We were buying posters. We, we were cemented in our fandom. We were buying the books in the extended universe. We were buying the games. They had us. They didn't need to market to us. They didn't need to cater to us. What they needed to do was make sure that a fresh crop of fans were brought into the fandom. So how do you do that? Well, episode one is how you do that. And it's a brilliant way to do it. No matter what you think about the quality of that movie or the characters in it or the acting or the writing or anything else, you, you have to understand the brilliance of episode one. It was marketed to kids. So, one of our protagonists is a kid, young Anakin Skywalker, little 10-year-old kid, Padme Amidala, a 16-year-old, little kid, Jar Jar Binks, obviously someone that is tailor-made for kids to love. And I have to say, I've, I've ran into very few children who did not love Jar Jar Binks. For all of the hatred that he gets from the adult fans... Kids really liked him. That's why, well, he didn't go away. That's why in um, The Clone Wars, he got his own focus episodes. Because he's a character specifically designed for children. So it didn't matter what we adult fans thought of the original series, or what we thought about the prequels. Their job was to bring in an entirely new crop of Star Wars fans. 
and they worked. They worked exceedingly well. The same is true with the sequel series. Yes, they, they want the nostalgia views of us old fans who came in on the original series. They want to bring back fans from the prequel series. But they also want to create an entire new crop of Star Wars fans. And as long as the property is doing that, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about it. That's its job, is to go out and bring in money for the company that owns it. Now, I can hear the objections to what I'm saying already. Well, if we boycott the next movie, then then what? This is the United States. We have a, a relatively small impact on the success or failures of a film nowadays. They're going to sell in China. They're going to sell in Europe. They're going to be going all over the world with the next movie. Whatever number of American Star Wars fans you can prevent from going to see the next movie, it's not going to affect the franchise. For all the talks about how Solo was a failure, Solo was always intended to be a failure. I, I truly believe that. The whole point of Solo was it was obligatory. If we're going to be doing stories about these other characters, then we need to see exactly how marketable they are. Is the audience ready to see somebody other than Harrison Ford play Han Solo? What they learned is not yet. They didn't learn no. And for anybody who thinks that the answer that they got from that movie was no, you're not paying attention. Disney has already been repackaging Star Wars for children, and they've been doing it in a lot of different ways. From the Forces of Destiny series, where we see new actors taking on the, the parts of Princess Leia and others. Yeah? Oh, and it's animated. So you're not even seeing the image of Princess Leia as in Carrie Fisher anymore. You're seeing the image of Princess Leia as a character divorced from Carrie Fisher. Right now, if you go onto the Disney streaming, well, not, not streaming, their uh, YouTube channel for kids that they have for, set up for Star Wars, you'll see clips from the original series, but not the way you expect it. They're animated. Yeah, animated. Completely divorced from the original film and done in a style that the children who are that appropriate age to start getting into Star Wars will be interested in. See, they don't care how much you like Mark Hamill or Carrie Fisher or James Earl Jones or any of these other characters. Oh wait, they're not characters, they're actors. They're someone who's there to fill a role. And yes, for nostalgia purposes, they'll bring James Earl Jones back to voice, you know, Darth Vader. But we already had a completely different actor take over Darth Maul, and every time I hear his voice, I think of Darth Maul. Because, well, he played him throughout the Clone Wars, and he played him throughout, you know, Rebels. And 
they even had him dub over Ray Parker, who came back to play <laughs> Darth Maul in the solo movie. But they dubbed him over with the other voice. Yeah. Didn't notice that, did you? Because it doesn't matter that Ray Parker is the one that we are used to seeing as Darth Maul in live action. That doesn't matter at all. It, it just so happens that it's there's been enough time since episode one came out and Solo came out. The actor is age appropriate to play the older version of the character. But because they spent so much more time with a different actor doing the voice, they used that actor's voice. So if you've grown up with the series, with Clone Wars and Rebels, you hear the voice that you expect, but if you've only ever seen the animated, the non-animated, episode one, you see the actor you expect to see in the Darth Maul costume. This is the power of intellectual property. You see, Star Wars is an idea that is infinitely repackageable and resellable. So is Transformers. So is Alien. So is Star Trek. We're getting a new Spock this year. This is the third new Spock. Yeah, Star Trek Discovery is giving us a brand new Spock. So it's no longer Leonard Nimoy that we're supposed to think about when we think of Spock. We can think about Zachary Quinto, maybe, because we onboarded during the movie, the J.J. Abrams movies. Or maybe this new actor will be the one that we think of when we think of Spock going forward. See, the idea of Spock is more important than the actor who played him, because the idea of Spock is infinitely repackageable, because he is the intellectual property of CBS. And CBS can do whatever they want to with him, even though Leonard Nimoy is no longer with us. And that's why our opinions really don't matter. We can complain as much as we want. It all comes down to the bottom line. Are these movies making money? Yes. Even the so-called flop of Solo, if you actually look at the numbers, it did well enough. It's not... You know, the end of the franchise. It's not going to bring the franchise down. Nothing will bring any of these franchises down ever again. Because they're just ideas now. They're ideas owned by a corporation who can do whatever they want to with it. And we'll talk about that a little bit more after the break. Welcome back. So, now that we've discussed how these characters have been completely divorced from any of their original context, including the actors who played them, and even the fans that originally brought them fame. What, what happens now? Well, the same thing that has happened to any of the characters that any of these large corporations have had. How many actors have done the voice of Mickey Mouse? You know, Kermit the Frog keeps showing up because Kermit is an idea that has outlived Jim Henson even though Jim Henson created him and originally provided his voice. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, get you to feel hopeless about your favorite franchise, whatever it may be. You know, there, 
they're not going to intentionally make bad content for the sake of alienating and angering people. But what they are going to be doing is figuring out what is the most profitable thing that they can do and move forward on that. It's why I get so mad at Star Wars for all the gay baiting that they did over foe, over foe, over, <laughs> over Finn and Poe. Because I knew in my heart of hearts, they will never allow them to have an out relationship because it's illegal to import movies with prominent gay characters into China. And China is the market that they really want to break into. That's one of the reasons they learned, one of the things they really learned from Rogue One. They brought in two prominent Chinese actors who played very typical characters from wuxia fiction. And the audience built a little bit. Because people are wanting to see what they want to see. That's not why Rose Taika was added to the series. She was added to the series as a fan surrogate. She's that little girl fan that Star Wars really wants to bring in because Star Wars has kind of a reputation of being, you know, boys fandom. So let's put in a fangirl, Rose Tico, and show girls that they can be Star Wars fans too by including one of them in the story. Yeah, that sounds cynical, doesn't it? And I'm not saying that it's all cynical. See, there are two tensions at work in all of this. You know, Ryan Johnson had his vision for what he wanted the series to look like, what he wanted his episode that he got to direct to look like. And he was allowed to go as far as the company would allow. It's the same thing with Rogue One or any of the countless movies that are going on right now. So as much as I don't like what Ridley Scott is doing with the Alien franchise, and I don't, I mean, Prometheus wasn't very good, and I didn't really like Alien Covenant, though it had some kind of nifty things in it, maybe. It doesn't matter what I think. Those movies did well. That's why he's going to get to do another Alien movie. Because I don't matter in this equation. And I really don't matter because, of course, I paid to see it just like everybody else. Well, then we'll just pirate these things to see if they're any good. No, that doesn't matter either. See, <laughs> the vast majority of these companies are looking at the markets that they can hit, that they can target like lasers and get the money from them you know there it, it is a brilliant and beautiful illusion that we actually have power over these companies now if they are strictly selling in a u.s market we have more power over them that's one of the reasons why for example when a tv show is being problematic that you know people can go after their advertisers and the show changes that can work because they're not as easy to sell overseas. You know, it, it's 
selling a TV series, especially a live action TV series that's been overdubbed for a foreign market. That's not, you know, the easiest thing sell to make. So, you know, they're a little bit more susceptible to that pressure. But, you know, a movie, movies are what movies are. And the companies are going to find ways to bring new children in. So for every adult fan who checks out of the series, they're going to bring in five, ten kids into the franchise. Or five to ten people in a foreign market who haven't really been a big fan of the series. We're, we're replaceable. That is the power of the marketplace of ideas. We, as fans, are eminently replaceable. And as I've said a couple times, I'm not trying to make you feel that, you know, resistance is futile. It's just, there's so much emotional investment in these characters and settings and stories. And I don't think we should allow ourselves to have that level of emotional engagement, especially with something owned by a large multinational corporation. You know, a smaller creator like myself, you know, yeah, I kind of think about what will be good in the market. And I do listen to my fans when they send me letters because, you know, I'm not selling billions of dollars of books. Oh, to whisper of a dream. You know, for whatever you want to say about, you know, this franchise or the other franchise, they are going to succeed or fail based on the dollars and how many more dollars the corporation feels that they can get out of them. So with all the talk about, for example, the crimes of Grindelwald having issues, you know, a lot of that discussion is based off of its domestic numbers. Now, the best numbers that I was able to find are as of December 11th, 2018. And yeah, it was a $200 million movie. And domestically, it made $146 million, well, almost $147 million and change. Yeah, that's not good. That's underperforming. And then we look at the foreign market. It made $425 million in the foreign market. 74.3% of its gross was made in foreign markets. Hmm. It made half a billion dollars so far worldwide. Is that great? Hmm. No. It's not wonderful. But this... More than doubled how much it costs to make it. And if we go off of basic Hollywood logic, then if it took $200 million to make, it, they put another $200 million into advertising for it. So that's $400 million to break even. So even at that calculus, the movie made, I'm just going to estimate here, $171 million Almost $172 million in profit? Hmm. And that's not including what it's going to do in Blu-ray sales and digital downloads and how much it's going to make from streaming. 
and all the different places it can make money. See, we can talk about this movie in terms of, well, you know, the U.S. box office just didn't like it. Well, that's fair. I mean, it didn't do gangbusters here. But it did open number one. So, I don't know what that says about it. It made 42.3% of its total U.S. domestic gross in its opening weeks. And that's important because that's the place where the studios actually make their money. So, was it a success or a failure? It more than made its money back. And they've got, what, three more of these to make? Hmm. And yeah, they're going to dissect this movie and what went wrong with it. We may see a recasting of Johnny Depp because, you know, I think that had a lot to do with some people not wanting to go see the film. But I don't want to hear anybody say that poor reviews had anything to do with it. There has yet to be a Transformers movie. None of the Michael... I'll just put it this way. None of the Michael Bay movies have ever had good reviews. They make gangbusters. So, the franchise will live on. The idea that this film or any other film could kill the, mad, the wizarding world. No. They built a theme park. They need to keep bringing new people in. They need to keep growing their market. They keep need to keep growing their fan base. And if that means they're going to age out some people, well, then they'll find new and different ways. Just wait till the TV series comes out. And I know that's not been rumored yet, but, oh, just wait. It'll happen. It'll probably be CG animated so that they can do it inexpensively. But Warner Brothers will find a way. For goodness sakes, it might even be a CW show. They like to do ma magical shows. And while the magic in Harry Potter is fairly inexpensive to do, you know, wave a wand, a little light effect. Hmm. But that's the world we live in now. And it's a world that we need to just kind of have a sober take on. If we're going to continue to have a discussion about these franchises and what they mean and their relative quality because you know this idea that we're going to be able to change anything is hilarious star wars is too big of a juggernaut whether or not you like star wars resistance it's a hit and it's bringing in new fans which was the point of it in the first place it's a kid's show. It's designed to bring in new kids. Sell some toys. I know we don't want to think about these things that we love in these terms. But this is the way the companies that own them are thinking. And I just thought we should take a little bit of time and have a sober appraisal of that. Yeah. I want to thank Movie Bob for giving me the idea to do this episode um if you're not following him definitely go onto youtube and watch him um he did a video recently about star wars and what all's going on with it and how it is you know transcending 
its nature. And the video is actually up on the Escapist channel. It's called Big Picture Endless Universe. And it kind of inspired me to have this chat. And, you know, credit where credit is due. But yeah, I, I we've watched this for a very long time. You know, especially if you've been a fan of various things like Star Wars, it's new to us because we thought of it as, you know, three films, then six films. No, it, it's an endlessly marketable set of heroic archetypes that will be packaged and repackaged and repackaged for as long as Disney can make money off of it. And that hurts to say. <laughs> it really does. But that's where we are now. So now that I've depressed you, <laughs> and I, I don't mean to be depressing, I just, you know, I, I think we need to just have a moment of realism before we go on and discuss about discuss anything else. If you've enjoyed this episode, wow, you're a masochist, and thank you. <laughs> I enjoyed talking about it. Um, yeah, if you've enjoyed this episode and the... Um, app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or this podcast, please do that. That helps out a lot. It tells the algorithms to share me with other people. If you can and you want to, please share me, share the podcast, let people know that we're here. That helps me out a lot. If you have a few bucks you can throw my way, if depending on the app you're on, you'll either see a button that says support or in the show notes, you'll see a link that says support on anchor. If you click that, you can give it the $1, $5, or $10 a month levels. That money really does help me out to continue doing these episodes, as well as, you know, go to conventions and some of the other things that I would like to do to meet and greet and, you know, all that other stuff. So if you can help out, that would be greatly appreciated. If you have a topic that you would like me to discuss, on the show or a question or anything, please go to anchor.fm, download the Anchor app, and follow me, Project Shadow, on there. There's when, Once you do, there will be a button that says voice message. You can leave me up to a one-minute voice message. Keep it clean. It can be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like to see on the show. And if it's good, I'll use it on the show. If you want to follow me on social media, I'm C.A. Dorset on Twitter. That's the easiest and best way to find me. And if you want links to all my social media accounts and everything that I do, head over to projectshadow.com. If you want to support everything, including my writing, you can go to patreon.com slash cedorset and give there. Thank you so much for listening. It means the world to me that I get to do these, even on days when I feel sick. Um, until next time, don't forget, have the fun. Bye. <laughs>